Well, it's good to have this opportunity to be before you again. And I ask you to turn to Hebrews, the first chapter. For our study tonight, we're going to be in the, primarily in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> before we get into that, I need to mention that uh, the Amersons requested that I mention Sister, Burn Sister Sandy Burnham, Mitchell, Mitchell Amerson's mother-in-law, that she's going to begin her cancer treatment on March the 18th. And I'm, I'm sure that they would appreciate our prayers, <clears throat> our prayers very much. And also, uh, I don't know whether you noticed or not, but I put Paul Ref's address where he is in the uh, rehabilitation center there in Tyler. If you'd like to send him a card or a message of some kind, I know that he would appreciate that very much. <clears throat> yeah. I better get my outline out to where I can see it. <laughs> but, uh, here in Hebrews, the first chapter, verse one, verses 1 and 2, as God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, speaks today to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. I title this study that we're having tonight, Preaching Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Preaching Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. You know, when Philip preached to the Samaritans in Acts the 8th chapter, it tells us that he preached to them Christ. When he preached to the Ethiopian man, it says he preached Jesus to them. Now that doesn't mean he had two different Preached about two different people. He's preaching about the same one. The Jesus, Jesus the Christ. He just happened, the writer just happened to use Christ in one passage and Jesus in the other. But Jesus Christ describes this one that we're going to be talking about tonight. You know, Jesus told his parents. You remember when they went to the record that we have in Luke, the second chapter? They went down to the feast at Jerusalem, and when they uh, left, they thought he was among, they, the parents thought he was among all those folks that they had gone with down to that feast. But when they got at the end of that first day's travel back home, they realized that he was not with them. So they traveled all the way back to Jerusalem, searched for three days, and they found Jesus. And he said, uh, they asked, they told him, he said, why, why have you done this to us? And he said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? I must be about my father's business. Well, what is that father's business that Jesus was about? 
Well, when the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph, when it was revealed, first revealed to him that she was going to have a son, he said, His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the Father's business. That's the business of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk more with you tonight about what Hebrews, the first chapter, tells us about this one, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Look here at the passages. Beginning at verse 1 again, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Well, we're going to have something to say about what that one expression, through whom also he made the world, later in the lesson. But continuing, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Brightness of whose glory? The Father's glory. Brightness of His glory, the express image of His person, the Father's person. So, what does that tell us? Well, it talks about the fact that He is God. And we're going to see that further as we study in these passages. We are told in verses 4 through 6 that He is Greater than the angels, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins. There's that business again that he's about. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. When I was preaching in at the Valley Congregation in Phoenix, Arizona, we had a brother that came and placed membership with us. But he did not believe that Jesus was God. He did not believe. And, I, of course, I talked with him about it. He came by the office one day, and we talked about it. And I said, well, it says, the Bible says he's the Son of God. If he's the Son of God, that means that he is deity in this special way that he's the son that he's presented in the scriptures. He's greater than the angels. But I finally asked him, I said, well, what, what do you think Jesus was if he was not the Christ? If he was not God, then what was he? He said, well, he might have been an angel. Yes, but he was much more than an angel he is much better, greater than all the angels of heaven. And then he used the scripture. The writer of Hebrews uses scripture to point this out. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son today, I have begotten you. Psalm 2 at verse 7 is where that is. 
In Psalm 2 at verse 7, that's exact statement. You're, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. And over in Acts, the 13th chapter, there's something interesting about the Lord's use of that and the Hebrew writer's use of that statement. Because in this 15th chapter, I want to read to you just a couple of three passages. The 13th did I say 15th chapter? 13th chapter. He is talking about, we declare to you glad tidings that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, that today I have begotten you. Then he says, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. So he applies that statement. Paul in Acts 13 applies that statement. You are my son, this day, I've, this day I have begotten you to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He had chosen him for this special purpose. And then he says, but he's proving he's greater than the angels. Again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Quotation of 2 Samuel 7, at verse 14. In the same passage it talks about Jesus going to be king. And reign upon the throne of David. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. You remember in Mark 2, we have the record of Jesus healing the man that they let down, took apart part of the roof and let him down through the roof. And Jesus, one of the first things he said to the man was, your sins are forgiven you and the Jews that were there they, uh, they believed that he was blaspheming God because only God, they said, only God can forgive sins. And that's true. <laughs> but there's another proof that Jesus is God because he forgave that man's sins. So, he continues here in this passage, making the point, making that very point that he had the power to forgive sins, that he was indeed deity, God. Look at beginning then at verse, uh, well, let's continue there, at verse 7, and of the angels, he said, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Angels are servants of God. And in the last verse of chapter or Verse 14 of the first chapter, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now, I can't tell what all angels do for us, but they, they serve God in ministering to us. 
to those who are the children of God. But then backing up now to verse 8, he says, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God. Now who's doing the speaking here? The Father is. Who's he speaking to? Of course he's speaking... He's speaking to the Son. But to your Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Jesus is called God in this very passage of Scripture, and this is a quotation of Psalm 46, verses 5 and 6. What is this name, what is this name God in the Hebrew language? in that passage from which this is quoted. It is the same name that we read in Genesis 1 at verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim. The Father of heaven calls His Son Elohim. God. Incidentally, if you ever get to talking, if you talk with a Jehovah's Witness and they try to convince you that it's otherwise, that he is not God, that he was a created being. Read this passage to them and make that point. Quoted from Psalm 46, verses 5 and 6. The Hebrew language, the word God here is the same word as in Hebrews or in Genesis 1 and verse 1. So he says, your God, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God. Now, who is that? That's the Father. Therefore, your, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And then he says in verse 10, And you, Lord, I don't know whether your particular version does this or not, but the, word, but the word Lord in this passage of Scripture, at least in the New King James Version, and I suppose it may be in all, most all the versions, if you'll notice L-O-R-D, all of those letters are, are capitalized. What does that indicate? That word Lord is the word that is transliterated into our English language as Jehovah. Do you mean to say that Jesus is called Jehovah? That's exactly the point. The term you've heard preachers from this pulpit say it, and I've said it a few times, the name Yahweh, we say it today. The Hebrew name, the Hebrew consonants that were used to identify not only the Father of Heaven, but identifies Jesus Christ as also being there. Your Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth. I want you to notice something else here. Not only does He forgive sins, but He was the Creator. He was involved in the creation of the universe and creating us. You, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. That is the 
this earth and the universe, it will perish, but you remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. Another passage says Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and today forever. Well, that's actually saying the same thing this passage says in a different way. He is God. He has always been God from eternity. His existence upon this earth was not his beginning. He existed eternally before that. The next lesson that I will present, we're going to talk about, going to talk about the second chapter and his humanity. But chapter one emphasizes the deity, the Godhood of Jesus Christ. And there's a reason for that. I didn't mention to you this passage of scripture at verse 10, you Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation and so forth. This is quoted from Psalm 102. This particular verse is here from Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. The name Lord in that passage of scripture, as I described to you, is talking about, is talking about, it's using this term Yahweh or Jehovah as we have it in our scriptures, in our English translations today. So, in these two different ways, the scripture refers to, the, to Jesus Christ as being God. God, Elohim, and God, Jehovah, or Yahweh. And so that is, that's very important. And he gave up, his, gave up that position in glory in heaven. Not that he gave up his Godhood. But he gave up that position in heaven and came to this earth to carry out the Father's business, as we mentioned a while ago. When he told his parents, I must be about my Father's business, he's talking about making, he was making preparation for bringing salvation, forgiveness of sins to all who would come to him, would respond to his invitation when he said, Come to me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But now why is it? Why is it that he is the Son of God and God? What's that all about? How did he, how did he fulfill all of this position? And of course, this, one of the things this does is ties him to the part that we'll study, be studying more about next week. But I want to read from Luke 26. Or Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1 at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, an angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when, he, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, 
and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Talking about she had not known a man in the physical, sexual relationship. How can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Listen to that. Therefore, what based upon what he just said, Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. I've had people ask me, especially those that, do not believe that Jesus was God or have some idea, some ideas about this that I don't believe are scriptural, will say, well, who was it? Was it, was it the Father or was it the Holy Spirit that conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary? It was God. The Holy Spirit as well as Jesus Christ and the Father, all three are God. Drew's been talking about that part of it. His studies on Wednesday night, which are very important and doing, doing a really good job of it too. So, there's the connection between the Jesus, the Son of God, the Jesus that was in existence from eternity with the Father and equal with the Father, having all the attributes of the Father, but in order to carry out the will and the business of the Father of bringing salvation to you and me and to any human being, responsible human being, who will respond to the invitation of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, they can have this salvation. This is the Father's business that Jesus carried out. Without this, what if there were no Jesus? There would be no salvation. All of us would be bound for hell all of us responsible beings who have sinned, would be bound for eternal torment. It had not been for the great love that the Father of Heaven and Jesus Christ had in bringing Him to this earth, living a sinless life. You know, that raises the question. Well, you know, in the Old Testament days, uh, God commanded the Israelites to offer animal sacrifices. There was the animal sacrifices that were offered especially once a year for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. Why, why wouldn't he just let us offer animal sacrifice? Well, I have a question. Was it the animals that sinned? No. It was us. It was mankind that sinned. A man, a person had to pay the penalty and the price for our sins. And Jesus Christ came to this earth 
sent by his Father of heaven, even though he loved him very much, he also loved us enough to provide this. But now, with that before us, back to Hebrews, the first chapter. Hebrews, I should say, Hebrews, the second chapter, the first part of it. Listen, therefore, what is that therefore? What does that mean? He's saying, I'm going to tell you what this we've just read, what that is there for. Therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? That includes those apostles, those that heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. That tells us, for one thing, what those miracles that the apostles and those on whom they laid hands, when they worked those miracles, what was the purpose of it? Bearing witness that this message is from heaven. This is God's message. This is heaven's message. This is not just some idea of some men. These men were guided by the Holy Spirit when they did the preaching. How did people of the first century know When they did that original preaching, how did they know that they were hearing the message from heaven? Well, God didn't appear to those sinners and give them some kind of special, no. They listened to the preaching that was done, and those who were doing the preaching performed miracles to prove that what they were saying was from heaven, this the, uh, what was giving them the power to perform those miracles was the same power that enabled them to preach the sermons that were being preached. And that preaching produced, before those apostles and those inspired men left this earth, before they died, they wrote down in this book called the New Testament that same teaching. That's heaven's message. You've heard me say before, when we open this book and read it, We need to remember, we're letting God speak to us. We're letting Jesus Christ speak to us when we read the words of this book. Of course, it records even the words of Satan, but it identifies them as the words of Satan. So, our responsibility is to give heed and to believe and obey those words that are given. And the words that are given to those first coming, to salvation in Christ Jesus, is that we are to believe in Jesus Christ. The great commission that Jesus gave, according to Mark's record, he told the apostle to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And Luke's record of it says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
And that's exactly where it began. And that's the same message that is still being preached to today. And also, it tells us, even after we become Christians, we must every day, all throughout our lives, must continue to give heed to this message from heaven. And we don't live a perfect life, and when we recognize that we have sinned, done something wrong, we're told what to do about it. Repent and pray to God for forgiveness. And we have this demonstrated in Acts the 8th chapter, where Philip preached the gospel in Samaria, and a <clears throat> fellow by the name of Simon, who had been a sorcerer in times past, he believed and was baptized. How do we know he was? Many people, I've had many people say to me, well, but he really didn't do that. <laughs> Are you saying that the Holy Spirit didn't know what he, do, what he was saying when he told, when he guided uh, uh, Luke in writing that down? Think about that. It's denying not only what Luke said, it's denying what Jesus, the Son of God, said, what the Father of Heaven said, and what the Holy Spirit guided him to say. He believed and was baptized. But after that, he committed to sin, just like all of us wind up doing. Then what was he told to do? Repent and pray to God that you may be forgiven. If you're subject from either standpoint tonight, you're invited to come as we stand and sing this song of invitation. Blood.